Oh, well, good morning again. We are starting this new series called What Makes You Happy? And uh, the interesting thing is, most of us don't really know <laughs> because we're not all that happy, especially the last two and a half years, right? I see less happiness uh, than I remember before that. So we're going to talk about part of the answer today. This will be a series is no thing. In fact, it seems like we've forgotten, or at least forgotten in some ways, what makes us happy. Now, everybody's on a happiness quest. You and I make decisions all the time on a judging on the basis of happiness. Will I do this or this? Well, I'll have more fun doing this, so I'll do this. Uh, now, we all have to do things that aren't fun, if you will. Um, hopefully, you enjoy your job and so forth. But uh, we have chores and so forth. But when we have options, when we have choices, we are going to choose something we enjoy over something we don't enjoy. So, most people don't seem all that happy, so most people really don't know the answer to this question, what makes me, are you happy? So, I'm going to tell you. Now, that might be, seem a little presumptuous, but people tell you all the time what's going to make me happy. If you buy this piece of clothing, you'll be happy. If you buy this, this ingredient, uh, this food, uh, if you go see this movie, if you drive this car. The whole ad industry is trying to convince you you'll be happy if you buy their product, right? And so, we have a better product, and God tells us how we can and should be happiness. So, basic premise is this. Happiness is more about a who than it is about a what. Think back to your childhood. Um, I remember when I was a kid, I had friends in the neighborhood, and we would play. Sometimes we'd have a ball and a bat, sometimes we'd have a basketball, sometimes all we had were sticks for guns. But the reason it was fun is because of who I was playing with. And you had your friends just like I had my friends, so it didn't matter what we were doing, it was matter who I was doing it with. Get to elementary school is the same thing, right? You got on the playground, it matters who you're playing with, it didn't really matter if you're playing tag or or dodgeball or whatever it is, the important thing was who you were playing with. Middle school is the same thing, right? High school. Some of you, my wife, she, she went to high school in Boonesboro. <laughs> we, still, we live in Boonesboro. So she gets together with some of the girls that she went to high school with, still. And it, so it's about the who, it's not about the what. So a way to try and remember it is this way. Happiness is associated with a who or two, right? Most of us have more than one friend, and we hung out with more than one person. So, if a what, or if a thing could make you happy, we'd all be happy. Because I'd figure out what that thing was, and I would get that thing. <laughs> that would seem simple, right? But the problem with things is this. A happy what leads to a happy what else, or what next. I came across a neat phrase, I thought it was, or term. It's called caffeine happiness. Caffeine happiness. Now, some of you drink caffeine, I don't. But anyway, it gives you a, a boost of energy, supposedly, right? For a short period of time. And then it fades away, right? And so that's what what's do for our happiness. It's caffeine happiness. It makes us happy for a while, but then it gets old. It wears out. It gets dinged up or, or something newer and shinier comes, comes along. In fact, if aging defeats or deflates 
your happiness, it really wasn't true happiness to begin with. So, I don't have my phone up here. But uh, when you get that new cell phone, it, you're, you're happy with it, right? Until what? The next edition or version of that phone comes along. It's got different bells and whistles. Plus, this one gets all dented up and scratched and, and so forth, right? On the other hand, I love my wife. I'm happier with my wife now than I was any time over the last 45 years. So that's true happiness because it doesn't deflate, but it actually grows over time. So it's about a who, not a what. And there's all kind of evidence to support this. How many of you traveled to a third world country? How many world travelers we have? Okay. The amazing thing is when you travel a world to a third world country, is the people have a lot less than you do, right? <laughs> Yet, for some reason, often they seem happier than we do. Uh, there's a term for it, Global X Syndrome. <laughs> and you ask yourself, how can they be so happy? They don't seem to have anything. You know, they don't have, you know, designer clothes, they don't have cars, you know, they barely have enough food to eat, and yet they have this smile on their face and this glitter in their eye, and you, what does it boil down to? Because happiness is more about a who than a what. Another way to think about it is this way. We've got parents here. I saw a lot of kids come in this morning. That was great. Parents, you're never any happier than the most unhappy child you have, right? If you've got, we've got four kids. If four of them are happy and one's not happy, we're not happy. If they're struggling financially or physically or relationally, you know, we're struggling with them. Same thing with married people, right? I can't be any happier than my wife is happy. And vice versa. Happy wife, happy life, right? And if mama's not happy, nobody's happy. Uh, we have these phrases in our culture even. Why is it? Because it's more about a who than a what. Um, before we had children, we married a couple years before we had kids, uh, there wasn't really a kid that we really loved. I mean, I had a, a nephew that I was fond of. Um, but there weren't anybody that we really loved and then we started having our own children. And so once we had a child of our own, there was true happiness and love there. And for people that struggle with infertility, that's a real struggle. It's hard to be happy if you want to have a child and you can't have a child because happiness, again, is more about a who than a what. So in the end, you and I have relational, not possessional regrets. Now, sometimes we regret buying something, spending money on something. But our real regrets in life are relational, aren't they? Um, that relationship, that for whatever reason, that friendship that broke up. Some of you have had marriages that broke up. Um, that maybe some of you, your kids don't talk, speak to you anymore. Or you don't speak to them, I don't know. Uh, so we, our regrets are, are centered around relationships, just like our happiness is centered around relationships. Now, some people that struggle with relationships will make some statements like this. Hopefully you've never said this, but I don't need anybody in order to be happy. I'm fine on my own. Now, usually this breaks down to two categories of people. One is they have people all around them and they just don't, they take them for granted and they think they could be fine without them. The other group is people that struggle with relationships. And uh, it's a 
dangerous, if not unhealthy, place to be. God didn't design us to be hermits. And on the flip side, anybody with that attitude is robbing someone else of a relationship with them. And we have this basic premise, I think, a defense mechanism. We say this, when we can't get what we want, we tell ourselves we don't really want it. So, you know, if I, if I can't have that relationship with that person or if I can't, you know, have children, whatever, well, I don't really want children. But we're made for relationships. That's the way God wired us. So anytime we talk about happiness, we need to talk about relationships. So here's our question. What makes you happy? Again, if everybody knew the answer, everybody be happy. And we see a lot of unhappiness around. So today's answer is going to be, we'll get different answers, different weeks. No thing makes you happy. No thing can make you happy. Well, it can make you caffeine happy, but it can't make you truly happy. Now, there is one thing that can make you happy, but it's not a concrete thing. We've all met these people that seem to be happy, and their lives don't seem to be all that great, right? And you just kind of want to shake them and say, are you living in denial? (laughs) Don't you realize how, you know, messed up your life is? But somehow they have a sense of happiness. So what is that? What is that one thing they have? What I would say to you is this. They have peace. They have an internal peace. So no matter what's going on around them, good or bad, they still can have peace. Now we're going to break it down into three categories because Jesus did. (laughs) So I think it's a wise way, way to do it. So happy people are at peace. First, they're at peace with themselves. They're comfortable in their own skin. They know who they are. They know their limitations. Uh, They know, you know, they have a feeling of sense or purpose in their life. Uh, If you're a Jesus follower, they believe, you you believe God's got a purpose and, and a plan for your life. And so they're at peace with themselves. Uh, Secondly, they're at peace with others. They understand how to get along with other people. They know how to forgive one another. They know how to uh, let things go. They don't seek revenge. Uh, They get rid of bitterness and anger as quickly as possible. The happy people are at peace with themselves and with other people. And for the most part, I'm not going to say category, if you're not a Jesus follower, you can't be happy. But for the most part, there are people that are are at peace, happy people are at peace with God. They figured out, you know, my sin, we're going to talk about sin in a few minutes, Uh, my mess-ups have disrupted my relationship with Almighty, the Creator, and He's provided a way to fix that if I accept His gift of His Son Jesus as a sacrifice and substitute for my sin or payment for my sin. I accept that gift. It's a grace gift. It's free. Um, and then I can have a good, good standing with, with Almighty God. I can be at peace with Him. I can trust Him. A, lot, a key to having happiness is being able to trust, trust God. So, if peace is kind of the foundation or the key to happiness, anything that undermines your peace ultimately undermines your happiness, right? So anytime you and I make a decision that undermines our peace, like invest in something risky, 
it's hard to be happy, especially when that investment starts to decline. When you make a decision, an interpersonal relationship decision, uh, hopefully not to cheat on your spouse or something like that. Um, as I said last week, I think, one thing I know you don't have when you in the midst of an affair is you don't have peace. So, any decision that undermines your peace, uh, decisions about your health, or lack of decisions about your health, oh, I know I should eat better, or I should exercise, but I decided not to do that, then there's going to be a lack of peace every time you're eating something that, or too much of something you shouldn't be eating. So, our enemy to peace and or happiness is relationships or lack of relationships. I call it relationship regrets. My, most of my regrets in life and your regrets in life aren't about a what, it's about a who, isn't it? Just as your happiness is. The flip side or downside is regrets. So, on your outline, peace with God, peace with ourselves, uh, excuse me, paves the way to peace with ourselves, and then equips us to have the ability to make peace with others, to be able to for, forgive, for example. So could it, would it be possible, or could it be possible, that following Jesus actually will lead to happiness? Because sometimes we think just the opposite. We'll get there in a minute. So we're going to look at something Jesus said. <clears throat> he was in dialogue or discussions or arguments with the religious leaders different times. And uh, we're going to look at, look at just one. In Matthew chapter 22, it says, One of them, an expert in religious law... Oh, no, we're too far down. We missed a verse. There we go. One of the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees. They told this story. Some of you know this story. They said, Oh, there's this lady that marries this guy, and he dies. And so by our law, his brother marries her. Anyway... She goes through seven of these guys. She's got to be some kind of black widow, right? She marries seven guys, and they're all, they all die. And it's a hypothetical story, though. And they say, okay, and when, they, when, they go, when she goes to heaven, who husband, uh, whose wife, who will, be, who will be her husband? And Jesus, Jesus insults them and says, you don't know what you're talking about. These are religious leaders. Study the Bible. You don't understand. Um, we don't, you don't have husbands and wives in heaven. So he shut down the Sadducees. So the Pharisees, another group, going to try and, Scripture's going to say, trap him. So they got together to question him again. And they're going to ask him, well, what's your favorite rule or law? We don't usually think of law as being favorites, but that's what, that's what he's going to ask. So, uh, one of them, an expert in religious law, we would say a lawyer in our day, right? They were trying to trap him with a question. So here's the question. Teacher, which is the most important or favorite or best commandment in the law of Moses. Now, we normally think laws don't make you happy, right? They limit our happiness. I want to do this, but there's a law against it, so I can't do this. Or I want to do this, but there's a law against it, so I can't be happy. Laws restrict our, seem to restrict our happiness. Jesus said, no, 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 no. It's just the opposite. But again, it's not about what's, it's about Who's? So notice what he says. Is he going to answer the question? Absolutely, he's going to answer the question. Often he didn't, but this time he did. So what's his answer? Jesus replied, you must 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Well, wait a minute. Love is a relational thing. This is not a law thing. You can't pass a law to make people love somebody. But that was the question, right? He said, this is the first and greatest commandment. So what is he saying? You have to be all in in this relationship with Almighty God. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind. You need to be at peace or make peace with the Almighty. That's the priority, number one. But actually he said it, you, there's, there's two foundations. You can't just have one foundation. I can't answer this question with one. I can answer it with two. So he said the second is equal, or equal importance. Right? So they're, they're equally important, up or down, foundation or, or here. Equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. He said the entire law, all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So he answered it. This is the, the key to life, right? So if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, if you love your neighbor and love yourself, you will be at peace with God, you'll be at peace with others, you'll be at peace with yourself, and consequently you will be happy. So the problem with love, it's not a command word, is it? Again, you can't force people to love. You can't pass a law about love. It's a relationship word. So do you think God wants us to be happy? It's a good question, right? I'm going to answer the question, what makes us happy? Think God wants us to be happy? Well, I, that command, He commands us to love. He commands us to do things that would make us at, be at peace in all three of our relationships, consequently, to make us happy. So this is core, this is foundational to our peace, consequently, to our happiness. But we often think, how do I put it in the outline? We think, at times anyway, God is in the way of our happiness, especially young people, the younger you are. Uh, teenagers are in the other room. But anyway, I can remember being a teenager and going to church, and there's all these laws in church, right, or rules, and things I want to do seem to be other things. And so I, I can either be this good Christian, I can be holy, or I can be happy, but if I'm holy, I'm not happy. And if I'm happy, I'm not holy. I'm doing some things I've got to confess and, and so forth. I'm assuming everybody else had that same experience that I have had. In fact, it continues even at my age today because at times I sin. Sin is cho choosing to say, this is what you say God's not going to make me happy. I'm going to be happy doing, doing something else, right? But I think it's especially difficult in our younger years in life. <clears throat> God provides a way to be happy if we would just believe Him or just trust Him. Ultimate happiness, not caffeine happiness. That, we're going to talk about that in a minute. So consequently, to resist God or to resist God's guidelines or commands even is to resist happiness. Again, we, we see it opposite. But that's what it truly is. So, consequently, I put on your outline, part of your and my greatest regrets are going to be what? That we broke our peace. Peace with ourselves, peace with others, peace with God. 
Now, we're going to talk about this word sin, but I'm going to use a broad definition of sin, especially if you're not a Jesus follower. You don't like that word. You get to decide what it is. It's whatever you think other people shouldn't do. I didn't say what you shouldn't do. I said what other people shouldn't do. So, do you think other people shouldn't kill people? Do you think other people shouldn't rape people? So these would be in your sin category. Another way to think about it is things you wouldn't want somebody to do to your niece or nephew or your children or your grandchildren. That's a bigger group of stuff, right? You wouldn't want them to lie to them and cheat them or, or whatever it be. So that's your, your sin category. Now, the amazing thing about our sin category is this. We all fall short, don't we? Things, all these things that people shouldn't do, and I've done some of them. So have you, right? Whatever your categories are, we all can't even keep our own standard, much less God's standard, what it boils down to. So let's talk about sin a little bit. Sin does a couple things. First, sin separates. The big thing about sin is it separates. First, it separates you from others, right? Anytime you have a conflict or struggle with somebody else, they did something and or probably both, they think you did something or didn't do something (laughs) that caused a conflict, right? That caused you to be not as close as you were, for the relationship to start to drift. Been married a long time. I see this in marriage all the time. If you don't, you know, things things happen, and it's easy for you to drift apart. You have to work on not drifting apart, especially when it fits into one of your sin categories. You've got to work on that. You've got to ask forgiveness and confess it, and the other person's got to forgive you so you, the separation doesn't continue and it's uh, removed or, or, or closed. So sin separates you from others. It erodes relationships. Secondly, sin separates you from God. Now, God has His own standard. (laughs) This book is full of His standard. In fact, it's perfection, and none of us reach that, and so that's why we need Jesus to provide for us so we're not separated from God. In fact, that's the best definition of hell that I know of that you are going to be separated from God completely and totally forever. That's how We don't know. God's, God's everywhere. We don't know what it's going to be like for God to be separated completely from us. And then when people hurt somebody we care about. Use this example. If you do something to my kids... You abuse one of my kids, you, you treat them badly, you lie to them, steal from them, and whatever. And you come to me and say, you and I are okay though, right? Are you and I okay? No, you and I aren't okay if you've done something to one of my kids. And so, it's really hypocritical when we are unkind or do un- sinful things to other people and think our relationship with God's not going to be affected. Because every person is a creation of God. And if you're a Jesus follower, you're a child of God. So, sin separates you from, from God, and sin separates you from yourself, which is kind of interesting concept, right? I, I thought about it this way. I put a uh, fill-in-the-blank on your outline. <clears throat> Have you ever thought this? If I ever blank, fill it in, I wouldn't be able to live with myself. 
Sometimes we say, I wouldn't be able to forgive myself. What is that? And maybe you've done it. Maybe whenever you have secrets, especially from people that, that care about you and you care about them. If I ever did what I couldn't, you know, I couldn't forgive myself. I, it separated me from myself in a way. So sin separates. The other thing sin does, it substitutes. It substitutes. It substitutes pleasure for fulfillment. It substitutes caffeine happiness for true happiness. It substitutes the immediate for the ultimate. I put on your outline this. Sin makes a happy promise that sin cannot keep. And we've all experienced this, right? I, like the, I think it's Rick Warren that says it that way. Sin has a kick. That's why we do it. But the kickback's always worse. It doesn't continue to fulfill its promise. It doesn't continue to make us happy. There's uh, consequences. There's fallout. There is uh, negative things that happen. Another way to say it this way is, Sin's not your friend. Your friends want to make you happy, don't they? Sin's not your friend. Now, James, brother of Jesus, half-brother of Jesus, he wrote a portion of our Bible we call the book of James. It's actually a letter. And I'm just going to read one thing he wrote because it gives us this, I think, a, a dynamic picture of this whole concept. So this is James chapter 1, verse 15. Then when desires conceive, uh, sinful desires conceive, it gives birth to sin. Now, especially you ladies, anytime you see a newborn, what do you say? Oh, it's so cute. I don't know. Sometimes I don't think babies are, some are cuter than others. Let's put it that way. <laughs> all right? Well, they don't have any hair. But anyway, uh, they're all, to you ladies anyway, they're all cute, right? So you have this little cuddly baby and it, it, it's all cute. Now, something my kids hear me, hear me say, sometimes when we look at pictures of them when they were small, we say, you were used to be so cute. Now you're so big and ugly. What happened? Right? You're big and ugly. But anyway, so, this sin thing looks like a cute little baby. But then what happens? It grows up. And when it's full grown, what does it do? It gives birth to what? Death. We've all experienced this, right? Probably everybody in this room has had a death of a, of a relationship. Sin got in there, you know, somebody said something unkind to you or you said something unkind to them or, or they did something, you know, stole something from you or lie, whatever it might be. We've all experienced this, haven't we? It was good, it was cute for a while and then sin messed it up. It brought to eventually killed it. So, on your outline, when you and I opt for sin, we're undermining our happiness because we're undermining our peace. It might be peace with God. It might be peace with others. It might be peace with ourselves. And I would guess that most of you are like me. It breaks my heart when I see people undermining their happiness, making foolish decisions. It might be foolish relationship decisions, Maybe giving up on a marriage too soon. It might be a financial decision, um, going into debt, spending money unwisely, 
um, undermining their future happiness. Could be a health issue. According to statistics, Americans are less healthy all the time. So what are we doing? We're undermining our, our long-term happiness by not eating correctly or properly or not exercising, whatever it might be, making bad decisions. So it breaks my heart. And you can't make people eat right or exercise or, or fix that relationship or manage their money properly. You, you can't do it, can you? So it breaks your heart. So, week one, the answer to the question, what makes you happy is what? No thing. Happiness is tied to a who or two. If you include God, it's going to be God and somebody here on earth. Happy people are at peace. They're at peace with themselves. Comfortable in their own skin. Oh, I'm not perfect. God loves me. God cares about me. Other people do. At peace with others. Don't hold grudges. You know, uh, don't seek revenge. Forgive. Let it go. Of course, at peace with God. So, try to come up, or Deb and I try to come up with some assignment for this week. So here's what we, what we thought of. Now, the Spirit of God can apply this message any, any place in your life. He wants to. But here's a general concept. What is disturbing your peace? Are you at perfect peace? If you're at perfect peace, you have no assignment this week. But if you have disrupted peace in a, in a relationship, especially financially or, or uh, internally, health-wise, whatever it is, what steps? Try and figure it out. What steps can I make to avoid this or to fix it or to bring back that peace? Once you figure that out, then, of course, you have to to do it. So we're just getting started with this, I think, fascinating topic, because people really don't know what makes them happy. So we're going to talk about something Jesus said, actually a bunch of things that Jesus said next week, Matthew 5, that are counterintuitive to happiness. Hopefully you can join us. Let me pray with you and I'll have a final song. Father God, thank you. We thank you that you desire for us to be happy. You desire us to have peace. Peace with you, peace with others, peace with ourselves. And you tell us how to do that. But most of us struggle with it for whatever reason. Uh, we don't do it. Uh, we believe the lies of Satan or whatever it might be. Uh, and some folks may not be at peace with God yet. Figure, you know, I don't need God in my life. So I pray first and foremost for you folks that you would understand your need for God. Because I can almost guarantee you, you're not at peace somewhere in your life if you're not at peace with God. Open invitation, God will accept you. Come to Him and ask, and you will receive. Most of us are Jesus followers, God, but we're not always happy. We're not always at peace. And so I pray that we would take this seriously. Because I think one of the greatest ways that we can show the world out there that we are different that it's of great value to be a Jesus follower, is that we can have peace even when stuff aren't, isn't going so well. And so people say, hey, there's something different about you. So God, I pray that we are different, that we are peace. Uh, I pray that each of us will take some time this week and seriously consider, where am I lacking in peace? Figure it out and then take the steps 
to be at peace. Because you, your scripture says we should have supernatural peace, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. You're an awesome God who wants us to have peace and happiness. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.